So uh, with that said, let's stand together and read the word. We will read the whole chapter as well as the first chapter, or first seven verses of chapter 15. This is the word of God. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. <coughs> So then each of us will give an account to himself, of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another 
in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word and we pray tonight that we are receptive to it and that we seek to apply it to our lives so that your glory would be seen in this fellowship as we seek to honor one another and honor uh, Christ in each other. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So as I said, um, our time working on harmony parts on Psalm 124 uh, was a demonstration of this passage. Because in order to make beautiful harmony and singing in a group, each part has to surrender to the other and, and serve the other. Each part has to complement one another and seek to blend their voice in with the voice of another. We don't want uh, the altos or the tenors dominating the sound of the choir or the sound of the congregation. Rather, we want one unified voice made up of distinct individual parts and individual gifts. And, and that is uh, the desire uh, of Christ for his church, that we be made of uh, uh, many different members, but we come together as one body that we talked about uh, before. So the question on the agenda tonight is, what do you do when there's discord between members? When there's, when there's we call it music, dissonance. When, when there, there's a little bit of rub between the pitches and things don't seem to align properly, how does harmony work in those situations? What are, what are our rules for engagement? What is our, our music theory, if you will, for uh, harmonizing these potential for dissonance? And that is Paul's instruction um, to the church in Rome and to us by extension um, in Romans 14. Anytime you get a group of people together, uh, there's going to be a rub. There's going to be discord. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be different convictions and opinions. Um, and we see that the church doesn't escape that rule either. Uh, and, and, and many times that's amplified because what we're talking about is not just mere opinions oftentimes. What we're talking about in many ways are eternal matters, significant matters. And, and sometimes it's hard for us to decide what matters are eternally important and what matters are adiaphora, what are secondary, what are things that we can agree, uh, agree to disagree on. And so there's just the potential for discord uh, in the body. Uh, but just because there's a potential for it doesn't mean it's something that we should pursue. It doesn't mean that it's something that we should not try to avoid and just say, hey, we're human. But the scripture addresses it and tells us how to handle it and to seek to have peace with one another because Christ came to establish reconciliation. Reconciliation between God and man and between man and man as we are all united to the same Lord. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this chapter tonight and the first bit of chapter 15. Um, and I'm just kind of summarizing it in five points, just some highlights. There's so many good passages, like good statements that deserve their own sermons really um, in here, but for the sake of time and so that as I promised you guys last year, uh, I would get through Romans before you all graduated. Uh, and that's still on the, the agenda. And so tonight we're going to go uh, pretty quickly through this passage. My goal is also to be pretty practical, uh, pretty applicable, um, 
as we seek to apply these issues in this fellowship and in our local churches. So uh, we'll begin with the uh, command to welcome the weak in faith. Welcome the weak in faith. So this passage spends some time talking about uh, the weaker brother, the one who is weak in faith. What does it mean to be weak in faith in this context? The way Paul is using this phrase, weak in faith, in this context, is not, not in the sense of struggling to believe the gospel or struggling to believe that God exists. It's not that type of uh, weak in faith. But the, the weakness of faith that Paul is speaking of in this passage is speaking of one who is a Christian, who trusts in the Lord, but hasn't fully embraced the freedom of the gospel. They haven't fully put all the pieces together in what Christ has accomplished in the gospel and the freedom that that gives. Their conscience still restricts them in matters of food and holidays, particularly in this congregation. Uh, there, there are things that Christ has set us free, to, uh, free from that we're not bound to, that the weak in faith are still bound to by their conscience. And so uh, this is the weaker brother. They are weaker because their particular scruples are based upon a misunderstanding of Scripture or upon an actual weakness of the flesh. So let me kind of give you those two scenarios where someone might be a, quote, weaker brother. One is they, they have a particular scruple based on a misunderstanding of Scripture. Um, so this would be in the situation that Paul's speaking of here of observing particular calendar days, particular religious feasts or festivals. Um, that They think that the scripture teaches that they are required to observe these things. And so this weakness of faith is based on a, uh, a misunderstanding. Uh, another type of weakness of faith might actually be related to a weakness of the flesh. And we see that with those who are abstaining from foods or abstaining from alcohol because of a tendency to indulge in the desires of the flesh. And so because of a particular weakness of their flesh, their conscience is bound not to partake in these things that Christ has made them free to partake in. Now, does that make sense? So you have those two different aspects of the weak in faith in this passage. So let's look at the two specific issues that Paul is addressing in the Roman church. Uh, the first is the vegetarian issue. Um, there have been diet wars in the church since the very beginning, and we're not talking about non-GMO, organic, or you know, Cheetos. It's not, it's not that type of diet war. But what we're looking at here is, is it okay to eat meat? Should Christians eat meat? You see, it was a common belief in the early church that truly spiritual people should be vegetarians and not simply because of idolatry. You know, there was uh, idolatry associated with eating meat that was offered to idols. That was one uh, restriction of eating meat. And Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But there was just this simple belief that um, it is a more spiritual way 
to not eat meat, to be vegetarians. And I imagine there's, there's lots of arguments that could have been made based upon uh, the beginning of Genesis when God created Adam and Eve. Um, they initially ate only plants. It wasn't until after the fall that they began to eat meat. Um, there was also a very strange uh, application of this in Gnosticism. Uh, and uh, very interesting, very off-the-wall crazy stuff in terms of uh, what you eat in your digestive system. I don't want to go too far into it, but it's very, very interesting. Um, and so this was common in the church, this belief that true Christians, truly spiritual people, should be vegetarians. And so when you mix the congregation together, and you got a group of people together, and these people are having a, a barbecue, and they're they're eating their ribs and you know pulled pork and all that kind of stuff. And then you got those people over here eating their uh, you know their Daniel fast or whatever, um, nothing but vegetables. There's the potential for not just ooh how do you eat that, but your diet choice s means you're disobeying the Lord, like you're sinning, you're offending me because you're offending God and what you eat. You see how that can clash. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's things that I eat that probably would offend you guys and, and vice versa. But you're not worried about me offending God with what I eat. And I'm not worried about you offending God with what you eat. But in this context, um, that would be a real concern. And so how does Paul address them to, to deal with it? First, uh, Paul um, agrees that this is a position of weakness, that this is a misunderstanding of Scripture, that this is not a biblical teaching. He deals with the meat offered to idols in 1 Corinthians 8. He's like, we know that these idols have no real existence, right? That, that you're not going to you know, get the idol cooties by eating this meat if you're just simply eating it in your home. Um, but even there, he tells us to be mindful of our brothers and what they believe is going on in that meal as not to um, confuse them or mislead them. And so what does Paul do? He instructs the strong, which is those with a right understanding of these matters, to bear with the scruples of the weak. Uh, and notice this. Notice that the, the weaker brother is objectively wrong. Paul doesn't, this passage does not mean that whatever you feel is true, is true. Paul's saying, nope, yep, that, they're, they're wrong. Um, I'm persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean. Like, this is, this is, they're wrong. But just because they're wrong doesn't mean that you just shun them. It doesn't mean you just shut them down. Um, and since this is a, a lesser matter, this is not an issue of the gospel, this is not a, a major thing that strikes at the heart of the faith, uh, he says that you should bear with them, be patient with them. It's probably not the, what you would expect. I know a lot of our circles, like we, we, we really emphasize truth. Truth matters. Uh, you know, Ben Shapiro will be here in a few weeks, facts over feelings. Um, and so we expect um, Paul to come in and lay down the law. No, you're wrong. Get over yourself. Let them eat meat. Like, that's probably how I would handle it. You know, I would handle it. It's like, they're objectively long. Let's look at the Bible together. See, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now you get over it and let's go have a cookout. Right? But that shows you how far from being fully sanctified I am. Because that's not the will of God. That's not how the Lord handled it. That's not how the apostle handled it. And so he tells them to bear with them 
to bear with them. The other issue was the calendar issue. We see this in verses 5 and 6, um, where some were observing particular days. Uh, this is most likely re referring to the many feast days and special Sabbaths um, that many first century Jewish Christians would continue to observe as part of their cultural heritage, um, part of their uh, religious and cultural experience. They would observe these feast days and there would be some who would say, to be a faithful Christian, you need to practice these things. Um, and so um, there's, a, there's an issue. How do we celebrate these particular feasts in congregation life? And so those two issues arose. Uh, what's an example of a calendar issue that, that we might have in the church? Um, you might run across people, believe it or not, Christians, who do not celebrate Christmas. You know, that, that does exist. Yeah. Uh, it used to be pretty common, actually. Um, or Easter. Imagine that, Christians who don't celebrate Easter. Does that seem wrong to you? So now you know how the Romans might have felt. What? You don't celebrate these holidays? They're honoring God. It's about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How dare you not celebrate that? Well, do you know that the Scripture never commands us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on a holiday called Easter? Tell us to do it on a holiday called the Lord's Day, Sundays. It never commands us to celebrate Easter. It never commands us to celebrate Jesus' birth. And so you could be completely free as a Christian to not celebrate Christmas or Easter. You see how if we're not understanding one another and bearing with one another, how we can misinterpret each other's practices? Right? And so this is an example where there, there is freedom to celebrate, freedom not to celebrate. We're both seeking to honor the Lord with our decisions. Um, and so we should um, move forward in, in unity and understanding in this situation. Now, I keep saying that we should bear with the weaker brother. Um, but that's not precisely what he says in this passage. He says not just to bear with them, but to welcome them. We're, we're often tempted to tolerate the weak in the faith and, or to avoid them if we can. We don't invite them to the parties. We pretend we didn't see them when we walk into church. But God commands us to welcome them, to deny our own liberties in order to make them welcome. And why? What's the logic? Christ welcomes them. Are you, do you know better than Christ? If Christ welcomes them, who am I to not welcome them? Right, you see the logic there? Christ welcomes them, so we welcome them. Christ welcomes them even though they're weak, so we should too, right? So we must welcome the weak in faith, not just put up with one another, but seek to understand one another and welcome one another. Why? Number two, we all belong to the Lord. This is the next highlight. We all belong to the Lord. We respect one another's convictions because we're all seeking to honor the Lord. At least we should be. And in a Christian community, we should all be seeking to honor the Lord with our lives and our choices. So I must ask you this question of reflection. Is that truly your motive in your choices? Are you making your life choices, your lifestyle choices, based upon a desire to honor the Lord? 
Paul says in verses 5 and 6, he says, Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see, Paul is saying, each person should be fully convinced in their mind. Have you given thought to your convictions? Have you given thought to your life choices and your decisions and the, the things you eat, the things that you drink, the, the holidays you celebrate? Is your calendar and your meal planner uh, is the overarching goal in both of those things to honor the Lord? Is the overarching goal in all of your decision making to honor the Lord? It is, and you should be fully convinced of it. You shouldn't just be up in the air, but you should think through these things and be fully convinced in your own mind. That doesn't mean that you don't listen to those who disagree with you and listen honestly and even be willing to be persuaded uh, to a different position if you're compelled by Scripture. But you should give it thought. Um, you should give it thought. And you should have a reason for why you observe the day. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Or why do you not celebrate Christmas? Why do you eat meat or not eat meat? Why do you eat GMOs or not eat GMOs? Like you should have a reason for that. Why do you drink raw milk? Or why do you drink fake milk? <laughs> Those are your options. <laughs> See, those are insignificant matters when it compares to the gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection and justification of sinners and these matters, but they're not insignificant matters because they're your everyday life and they're unavoidable. So think through these things, be fully convinced in your own mind with the goal of honoring the Lord in it. And if we all do this together, if we all seek to live quorum Deo, right, before the face of God, seeking to honor Him in all our actions, and we know that this is each other's goal, then we will honor that in one another, right? I will know that this brother drinks fake milk out of honoring the Lord, and this brother drinks raw milk out of honoring the Lord. Right? That's a silly illustration, but you see the point. This person drinks alcohol and gives thanks to the Lord. This person does not and gives thanks to the Lord. And when we understand each other's motive in that, we honor that motive in each other and we rejoice. And that's what's cool about it. You can begin to rejoice with those you disagree with. Like, I rejoice that you don't drink because you're trying to honor the Lord with your life. And I hope that you could rejoice when I partake in thanksgiving to the Lord. Right? That is the sort of compelling community that is created by the gospel because Christ gives freedom and we can move towards one another in understanding. And so Paul doesn't want us um, judging one another and requiring us to live up to certain expectations and standards because your brother or your sister doesn't have to answer to you because we all belong to the Lord. And because we all belong to the Lord, we will all have to answer to the Lord. There's one judge to whom we must give an account, and it's not the person sitting next to you. It's not the old grandma in your church who doesn't like the way you do things. It's the Lord, right? Verse 7 and 8, Paul says, For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. So Paul's basically saying, everything, nothing is for yourself. 
For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And he continues in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. You won't have to answer for your friend's convictions. You will have to answer for your convictions. Did you think through them? Were you fully convinced in your mind? And did you seek to honor the Lord with them? And did they accord with the truth? You ought to answer the Lord for these things. It reminds me of the, the, the plank eye situation that Jesus talked about. You know, where you're concerned about getting the speck out of your, your brother's eye, your neighbor's eye, when you've got a, a plank sticking out of yours. Right? You have to give an account for your own convictions, not your friend's convictions. So, for, uh, uh, point three that we'll look at here is because of this, we shouldn't cause our brothers to stumble. If we're all pursuing the honor of the Lord together, I don't want to knock you off of that trajectory. If, if, if you're on the path to honoring the Lord in every nook and cranny of your life, it's not my intention to set up a, a hurdle to that. Right? I'm not going to set up a stumbling block to that. It's not my desire. It shouldn't be our desire to uh, put a stumbling block in the way of our brothers and sisters towards honoring the Lord. I, I like how Paul puts it all into perspective in verse 20. He says, Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Like, isn't that like sobering? Just reminders like, y'all are making a big deal about food. And in your making this big deal about food, you're destroying the work of God. Right? It puts it all in perspective. Paul says, Everything is indeed clean, but is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. This, this passage is very sanctifying to me. Because when he says, Everything is indeed clean, I want to put a period right there and then write, That settles it. But that shows that I love myself more than I love my neighbor. I love myself more than I love my neighbor or my brother because Paul says it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It might not be wrong to eat meat or to drink wine, but it is wrong to harm your brother. And by you making mountains out of molehills, Causing your brother to stumble, that's what you're doing. You're destroying the work of God amongst the people of God. So what's more important, food or God? It's a silly question. We know the answer. So be patient with the weak. Be patient with the weak. And, and here's the thing. Do you not think God will strengthen those whom he loves? Do you not think that God will leave those brothers, sisters in their weakness their entire lives? Do you, do you think they might grow? Do, they, do you think they might be strengthened? Have you grown? Have you been strengthened? Have you changed your mind on anything since you began to be a Christian? Right? 
what makes you think you can change, but your brother can't change and your sister can't change? What led you to change? What led you to repentance? The scripture says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And if it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, maybe it's your kindness, which is God's kindness through you that leads your brother and sister into repentance, into growth. So it is not wrong to eat meat or drink wine, verse 21, but it is wrong to intentionally upset your brother. This leads us to the fourth point, that this is not just a suggestion, it's an obligation. There's the, the obligation of the strong is uh, this point I want you to see. We'll see this in verse 1 of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. This is not just a suggestion. This is not just something that Paul wants us to consider. This is not something the Lord wants us to just, hey, think about this. I'd like for you to be nice to that person. This is a commandment. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not just to please ourselves. To whom much is given, much is required. And if you are strong, it is your obligation to use your strength in service for others and not for yourself. And that's anything, right? If you're strong, I've got a giant tree in my yard that I could use some help moving. It's your obligation to come help me move this tree, right? So some of you guys are stronger than me. Most of you guys are stronger than me. Who am I kidding? All of you guys are stronger than me. I'm just flattering you so you'll come help me. But that should be our mindset as Christians. What I have, what has been given to me by God, it was given to me by grace as a gift. It's my obligation to use that to serve those in need and whatever it is. If, if, if I'm strong and they're weak, it's my obligation to serve them in my strength. If I'm rich and they're poor, it's my obligation to serve them with my riches, right? It goes all the way across the board. And so why is it our obligation? Just because that's some sort of like um, stoic, some sort of macho duty thing? No. It's our obligation to bear with the failings and to help the weak because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus does. Which is where Paul goes in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 15. It says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. A lot of times we don't want to be associated with those people. If they get it all wrong, they make us look bad, they make us look like fuddy duddies. but Christ did not please himself. Instead, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Christ took on the reproach of us. He's talking about us here, by the way. We're the weak ones in this passage. We, Christ took on our reproach. We're the ones who reproached God, and Christ was not ashamed of us. One of my favorite 
sentences in the entire Bible comes in the book of Hebrews where it says that, that, that Christ is not ashamed to call us brothers. Can you look at the person who is kind of a buzzkill in your life, but they're faithful to the Lord? They're kind of annoying, and you're slightly embarrassed by them, but they're faithful to the Lord. Are you ashamed to call them brother? Are you ashamed to call them sister? Christ is not ashamed of you. Instead, he welcomes you. He doesn't say, oh, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to let Marie get over the stuff that she's dealing with, and then I'm going to welcome her now. But he welcomes Marie in, in spite of all her quirks, glorious quirks, Marie. Jesus welcomes you in spite of all your little particular weirdisms. And I have a laundry list of them. Can't you accept your brother? Christ does. And that's what Paul wants us to think. He wants us to consider others more important than, himself, than ourselves. We've seen this throughout the second half of this book. So I want to pause here before we end for a couple caveats and some application. So uh, first caveat, side note, is to beware of the tyranny of the weaker brother. Beware of the tyranny of the weaker brother. Paul commands the strong to set aside freedoms for the sake of the weak. But this does not give the weak freedom to become tyrants. So what do I mean by that? The laying down of freedom for the weak should be a voluntary act of love, not a requirement of law. A particular scruple of one weaker brother ought not to become a sweeping prohibition for an entire church. And this happens often in churches, um, unfortunately. Sometimes it has to do with how much money that person has or how close kin they are to the pastor, or if they are the pastor. Those are the, the bad examples that we have, where one particular scruple that isn't founded in Scripture, they would be totally okay to practice that themselves, and there's, Paul tells us to consider them um, in our practices, but instead of becoming the weaker brother, they become a tyrant and rule the entire fellowship. And this is what Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for treating the traditions of men as if it were the law of God. He tells them that you set aside the law of God in order to observe these traditions of men and treat them like the law of God. Jesus rebukes them for that. It's not them being weaker brothers. That's them being tyrants. That's them being legalists. The, the entire book of Galatians is in opposition to the Judaizers who were teaching that circumcision must be upheld in the church. Um, in order to become a Christian, one must be circumcised as a Jew. And, and Paul um, very directly calls this, uh, calls it a, uh, a heresy, and a damnable heresy for teaching this thing. This is um, legalism. This is adding to the law of God and requiring others to do that. So humility is required of the weaker brother as well. 
And so beware of the tyranny of the weaker brother. It's a very real thing, and it's very common, and it has been for generations in the South, particularly in Baptist churches, and I, mean, I don't want to throw just Baptist under the bus, and, and let's say evangelical churches, churches that take the Bible seriously, let's put it that way. Um, and so that's a very real thing. We should be aware of it. But also, in your caution... And your beware of the weaker brother, beware of calling every weaker brother a tyrant. And is it your unwillingness to serve? Is it your unwillingness to set aside your freedom? The other caveat is uh, kind of been alluded to already, but the weaker brother is indeed in a position of weakness and immaturity. So if you find yourself in this weaker brother category, uh, where your conscience is bound to all sorts of things, or maybe one thing, where others have more freedom um, in those positions, know that this is a position of weakness and immaturity. Uh, patient, gracious discipleship, discipleship should move the weaker brother to greater strength, maturity, and freedom. Now, some applications. What are some applications? Because like I said, we're not so hung up on diet and calendar really. Um, in our context, or so what are the things? I think the, the hot topic in the Baptist world is alcohol, obviously, because, you know, Baptists and all that. Um, you know, um, that's the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian. Yeah. Uh, Presbyterians uh, recognize each other in the liquor store. Um, yeah. So, what do we do with alcohol? And Paul addresses it in this passage. Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So he's saying, hey, we, it's good to abstain from these things. But in including this in this passage, it has the assumption that it is normally good to do these things. It's something that it's okay to abstain from, is what he's saying. Like, it's good to abstain from these things in service to your brother. So the logic of the whole passage is that, that wine is is one of these clean foods. It's one of these things that is allowed. So how would we apply this weaker brother principle to the use of alcohol um, in our fellowship, in your churches, whatever it be? Um, so how do we walk that, that balance between the serving the weaker brother and the, the, the tyranny situation? So let's say you have a weaker brother situation where their conscience is bowed that al drinking alcohol is dishonoring to the Lord. Um, and they may have a variety of reasons for that position. Um, your freedom in Christ does not allow you to, one, flaunt your freedom in Christ and your drinking of alcohol in their presence. It doesn't allow you to do that. It allows you to honor their desire to, to honor the Lord and another way it does this is you, it's not your job to try to convince them to drink. This happens a lot of times. It's like, it's kind of like, um, hey, come on. Come on, you can drink, it's free. There's not a sin, come on. And you just try to push it on and push it on and push them. That's not honoring their conviction. Instead, you honor their conviction and you abstain in their presence uh, to serve them. This, God used a faithful brother in my life applying this principle, I probably wouldn't be here today if a brother in the Lord hadn't sought to desire this principle regarding alcohol in my life. We were at a wedding rehearsal dinner and we were sitting together at dinner and 
he looks at me, he's like, hey, do you have a problem with drinking alcohol? And at that point I was like, no, I don't. He's like, just checking, because you know, I, probably he's thinking, I know you're Baptist, but uh, we're, my wife and I drink, and we were going to order wine from the table, and just want to make sure that wasn't a problem for you. And that led to a conversation, because he's like, we come from a Reformed church, and that doesn't cause a problem. And then, so I was like, okay, tell me about this Reformed stuff, right? And that was a, a door opening to the train that just completely discombobulated my life. And I, I, there's a good chance I wouldn't be standing here today if he wasn't trying to be faithful to this passage of Scripture. Right? And that's how it looked like. Hey, we don't have a problem with it, but you might. We want to honor you. Is it okay? Would you be offended by this if we got wine for the table? Right? That's what it looks like. Don't make a big deal out of it. If you are the weaker brother, and this is your conviction that alcohol is dishonoring to the Lord. Uh, abstain to the honor of the Lord. Um, but don't be a tyrant to your brother who has freedom in Christ. Uh, rejoice in their ability to drink and to give thanks to the Lord who provides. In fact, in our liturgy that we do before our meal, that we drink uh, of, of rich wine and rich food. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a whether you eat or whether you drink, you do all to the glory of God. Another one is tobacco. Uh, these are issues of, of things that, that might be harmful to the body or whatever it may be. Alcohol, tobacco, again, same principle. Same principle. Seek to honor the Lord uh, and, and not to uh, shove it down their throat if they don't want it. Uh, another is particular activities on the Lord's day. Can you play a game of touch football in the yard? Can you play cornhole? Can you watch football? Can you go out to eat? Right? These particular things um, can be easily made an issue where uh, we can bring division on particular activities on the Lord's day um, rather than seeking to honor the day that Christ has given us uh, in those particular activities. Now, it's my conviction that that day is a requirement to be observed in keeping with the fourth commandment. That's my conviction from the scripture, but I'm not seeking to regulate particular activities on that day as long as those day those activities are set apart wholly to the Lord. Uh, another issue that could be problematic, particularly in our circles, um, is details regarding gender roles in the home. Uh, this is a similar kind of thing. I think we can all agree from scripture that there's, there, there are gender roles in the home. They are, and we can get these big categories for them, but what are the particular details? Like, who takes out the trash? Who washes dishes? Who mows the grass? If you're a dude and your wife mows the grass, we got to talk. <laughs> I'm going to put that in. I'll put that in one of the big categories, but no. Um, so we want to agree that we honor the Lord and His Word, that there are particular gender roles in the family. These are big categories, but the, the little fine details, let's honor each other's conviction in these things. Uh, head coverings is one that's kind of a hot topic right now. Should, should ladies cover their heads in worship and in prayer, or should they not? Right? We, we each try to strive to honor the Lord in the use of head coverings, and we want to honor that um, desire and that goal in those things. And so these are some examples that we have where you can bear with one another. Who's the weaker? Who's the stronger? I don't know. I might be the weaker one in this one. I don't know. 
when it comes to head coverings. It's uh, my conviction that the 1 Corinthians 11 does teach that women should cover their heads in worship. Is that a weaker brother situation because I'm potentially requiring something else of obedience of a, of a brother or, or a sister in this situation? Maybe it is. I don't think it is, but it might be, right? So this is how that works out. So y'all could look at me and go, oh, just a weaker brother. We're going to welcome him as Christ welcomes him, right? You see how this works? And I'm okay with that because I'm convinced from Scripture. I'm fully convinced in my mind. If you think I'm weak, I'm very weak, right? And so that's how we can be on both sides of this issue where I might be the weaker brother here, I might be the stronger brother here, but regardless, we're trying to honor the Lord with our decisions. Okay, so that was some sidebars, some application. Hopefully that's helpful. Uh, if you want to ask questions in a bit, we can do that as well because I think this is some of these issues just are best to kind of go back and forth and discuss. And so we'll close with this. Uh, it's the fifth observation, the fifth kind of command here, and, it's, and it is a uh, tall task, but it is beautiful and is glorious and worth pursuing. And that is the welcome of Christ. Verses five through seven, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's what it's all about. That's the whole desire is that when we come together with our different voices, with our different parts, our different convictions, our consciences lining up in slightly different places, but when God blesses it and gives us endurance and encouragement to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that we would then, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that we would then welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Our goal is to reflect the glory of God. We want to exemplify and model and to live under the reign of the Prince of Peace. And I'll leave you with these few questions. If we can't live with one another in peace, how can we expect peace in the world? If those who have been given the spirit of peace in the body of Christ cannot live together in peace and harmony, how can we expect peace and harmony in the world? So as Christ welcomed you, he has. How has he welcomed you? Did he welcome you when you had it all together? When you had it all figured out? Or did he welcome you while you were weak? Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm so thankful that at the right time is in there. The right time for Christ to die for us was while we were still weak. The right time for Christ to welcome us was while we were still weak. So is there someone you know? and this fellowship or in your life, in your church, in your family who is weak in the faith, then this is the right time to show them the love of Christ. And God has given us all that we need to do that. So let us pray.
and ask him to do it now. So God, we come to you uh, acknowledging our weakness. That even when we are strong, that we are ultimately weak. And all of our strength is in Christ. All of our strength is in you as you have given it to us through your spirit. And so God, make us dependent upon your spirit. Make us humble. Make us uh, not think too highly of ourselves. Lord, and I pray that, that this group of believers would seek to honor you with their lives in every decision that they make. And then, Lord, I ask that we could honor one another and honor that goal to honor you in one another. And that that would be the point of unity that brings us together. That the pursuit of your glory in Christ would be the thing that, that creates that compelling community that the world looks to and sees peace sees joy, sees love, self-control, wisdom. And this can only come when we get over ourselves, humble ourselves, and receive your mercy. And so we ask that of you now, in Jesus' name.